Welcome to The One Hour Intern. I'm your host, Will Brigger. On this week's episode, One Hour Intern, I learned from Lisa Sugar, co-founder and editor-in-chief of media and technology company, Pop Sugar. Let's start with some context about you. Because we are all in quarantine in the COVID world right now, there's no better place to start than what have you been doing to stay productive during this time? That's a great question. So during quarantine, I'm trying to stay as much as I can in routines while also being as flexible as possible because from one day to the next, things are changing. And this has been the most unusual five months of my entire life. And you know, overseeing a large team and, and what my team is going through, I want to be able to change on a whim things that may have to get changed while also keeping some semblance of a routine because I do work with my husband and have three kids. So trying to keep everybody as as much in a routine of a day-to-day semblance is important as well. And are there any things that you've added to that routine to make this particular time more productive or kind of take advantage of being at home with your kids and not being in the office? Yeah, I, we love it. It is nice to be home with everybody. We were always really good at doing family dinners when we were not traveling. And, and Brian and I do travel a lot. So this is the longest we haven't been on a plane. And that's okay. And that's great. And that's something that we're definitely trying to enjoy. Brian's an excellent cook. So he is doing a lot of our cooking, which is awesome. Brian and I also love to walk to work together. So our routine in normal life was dropping off our girls at school and walking to the office, which was about a 40-minute walk. And since we don't have that routine anymore, we're still waking up every morning and taking our hour walk together because that's just like a great time for us. And we do have now two dogs. We got a quarantine dog. So keeping that routine was really important to us because it is that just morning of us waking up, still trying to stay somewhat healthy, being able to get some time for ourselves, just the two of us, since we can no longer have like real date nights. And that's really important to us too. We also got um, a quarantine pet. We have two little cats now. Oh, I didn't know that. Congratulations. Are they from the same litter? They are. They're Jack's, but they're with us right now because Jack's currently gone. They make that house smell lovely. (laughs) Well, we did not get cats. We got a dog. We've always had two dogs and we lost one last year after 17 long, awesome years. And so we got the other doggy, his partner now. Makes sense. A three and a five months old dog. Terriers. So they need a lot of exercise anyways. Have you been doing any kind of educational or non-work related study to be, to kind of learn during this time or take advantage? I think for me, it's always, it's talking to other working parents and figuring out what's working for them and how they're adjusting their schedules. That's something, you know, I could have reiterated on the last question too, is just learning how to, I have to adapt my schedule and knowing to try to set an example as a leader in the company, how other people can be adapting their schedules because we have people who are, if not taking care of children, they might be taking care of their parents. You know, they're just people who are are helping in ways that they haven't before. And a lot of people have left their homes. We have a lot of kids that are working in New York and have left New York to go back home to their families. Lots of new moms. I mean, we have all levels of it. So trying to just be really aware of schedules that have to adapt and then talking to other folks and figuring out how are they doing it in their companies and what's working and what's not and what can we take into our own company 
And Pop Sugar was actually recently bought by a company called Group Nine. And there's multiple brands under the umbrella of Group Nine. So being able to talk to the other brand leads and figuring out what's working in their worlds and what we can share together has been important. Is there anything in particular that you've taken away? This is the best way to adapt or this is the best way to kind of have that routine, but be flexible at the same time? I wouldn't say there's any one thing, but I think that the need for connection still is so important. So not being able to be in the office, I would say really reaching out to people on the team that I might not be having meetings with regularly and, and just checking in you know, sporadically with different team members that are not either my direct reports, but just knowing that there's still that connection and anyone can come to me the way that we tried to have that kind of culture when we were ill in the office to have it still exist over screens. I think what's been great is I've been able to have really new leaders emerge under all this. So, you know, with all the Black Lives Matter and social injustice happening right now, we've, we've had some really great new emerging leaders that have been very confident to speak up and educate the team. And that's been a great new thing that may not have happened in a room, but people feel comfortable on the screen. So there's that. And then there are other folks that are natural born leaders, but are having harder times because they're not actually in them. Yeah. On a social justice kind of Black Lives Matter, everything that's going on in the world right now, what has Pop Sugar done with regards to the movements and kind of to help produce a change in America? Yes. You know, Pop Sugar, we've always wanted to be a site that anyone can feel welcome coming to. And we have long talked about being as diverse as possible, both in staff, in writers. I look back at our efforts and still feel like we have not done nearly enough. And so it's the constant education of our team, both within their writing, within hiring, and the company at large is look at all the efforts of what we've done, both within our content, within the community, the culture, all of that. So we have done a lot of efforts in the sense of whether it's donations, match donations from a company perspective, doing stuff online to have our community donate, to just educating as much as possible, being a platform where people can tell stories. So we have a lot of freelancers who come and write along with our staff. But from a content perspective, you know, we're a lifestyle site and we write about everything that can be both educational and deep and heavy and important topics, as well as what show to watch, what book to read, what mascara to put on. So there's really a range of content on the site. And I think actually at first, it was a little hard for the team because we want to talk about you know workouts and recipes and we weren't sure what our lane was. And for us, really, it is making sure that we're just representing as many women and people of brown and black voices and, and companies and stories. And so it needs to just be integrated into the everyday as naturally as any of our other content. So when we're writing about designers, it includes all kinds of designers and all backgrounds. And that's just something that we're becoming more and more aware to make sure it becomes as natural as possible. And it's not something we have to think about doing because it just becomes a reflex and we're ready to do it all the time. So that when they come into the world, they kind of act as the people they should be. Yeah. So I have three daughters. I have a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 14-year-old. So obviously from each level, it's it's very different. My 14-year-old came home with her Black Lives Matter poster, put it in our wall, like fully gets it, champions behind everybody having equal rights. You know, and there's obviously more of a education to to have for the younger two. And they are very fortunate to go to a wonderful school 
which is led by a wonderful Black woman who just gives them so much love and teaches them about equal opportunity and about diversity and how important it is. So it really has been ingrained in their education since they started grade school. For us now, it's a matter of bringing it into the home and showing them how mom and dad really care about these causes and efforts and, and why it's so important as well. So whether it's just making sure we're reading books that have this type of stuff integrated in and having healthy conversations about equal rights. One of my daughters, who's it, who she was in fourth grade this past year, did, uh, they call it Famous American Women, where they highlight and get in character and they do a monologue on at, in character. And she picked Megan Rapino from the women's soccer team. And she actually did a whole part where she was talking about how Megan kneeled during the national anthem, just like Colin. And so we had to go into that conversation, which was good. And so they get it, which is great. Now they got to like live it and support it. You said that um, you're trying to read different things and kind of do more, bring it into the household. What are you reading with your kids or discussing entertainment wise with regards to that? I mean, part of it is the programs they watch, right? So it's like Babysitter's Club was it was a great one for the kids that just came back out on Netflix. So those were books that I grew up reading, which you know did have a diverse cast, and then now they're bringing it to life on Netflix. And I feel like Netflix does a really great job of making sure representation is within all their stories. So that's a good example. My daughter right now is reading her summer reading books for school and I'm reading it with her just because I thought it sounded like a great book. And so this one in particular called Full Cicada Moon and it takes place in Vermont in 1968. And it's about a young girl who is half black, half Japanese moving from Berkeley to Vermont. And like just being able to talk to her about why the characters are questioning who she is or how she fills out her school form because she doesn't feel like she fits into a box. So being able to then read it with her, but then have that additional conversation with her is, takes it a level deeper. That makes sense. Yeah. And I really enjoy it too, because I didn't, haven't read it. And, you know, I want to continue to educate myself. So it's nice to kind of do it, you know, through all levels of like books that are written for 20, 30s and 40 year olds versus a book that's written for a 10 year old. So now that we've kind of talked about COVID, the world right now, let's context more directly about you as an editor-in-chief of one of the largest media brands in the world with hundreds of employees and you're a writer yourself, describe an average Tuesday in your shoes. I have a lot of meetings. So I touch base with a lot of people across various different departments. I'm very meeting heavy, unfortunately. And I would say that I would love to have less meeting days so I can get more creative. But I also love touching so many different teams. So whether it's working with the Instagram team and doing brainstorms on content or having a larger partnership with when we all vote and talk about what talent we can work with to make sure that we have a great, you know, it was just the 100 days to election. What can Pop Sugar do to help get people registered to vote or have matters that women need to know about going into the election with candidates? So it could be a call with external. I work really closely with sales and marketing departments so that we can come up with really cool packages and partnerships for brands that are spending lots of money with us to reach our audience. We just launched a tween clothing line with Old Navy actually on Monday, which was really fun. So licensing is a big part of it. Ways that Pop Sugar extends out. So, you know, having a meeting with the Old Navy team to figure out what the clothes are going to be, how we're going to market it, how we're going to bring this to life, who are the influencers we're going to bring in as our tween consultants. And then 
uh, you know, really uh, obviously a lot of management stuff, just helping everybody out, touching base with figuring out who is doing well, especially nowadays, because we are so far apart from each other, figuring out how we can have everybody feel connected. Maybe there's a happy hour over Zoom at this point. Uh, we're trying to, you know, find fun ways to stay connected and talk about, you know, a favorite show on HBO that we all just watched and, you know, have some casual talk as well. And let's see, press. I do a bunch of that too. So again, because Old Navy just did a bunch of press with like Digiday and Women's Wear Daily talking about the line that just launched. That's so many different things in one day. How do you balance all of that and your family life? Yeah. And I guess, I don't know if you even actually wanted me to start with like breakfast in the morning or that walk with Brian, but family is obviously first in everything. And so waking up, having that time with Brian to walk the dogs. The kids these days are on a completely crazy schedule because it's summer and I'm trying to not be crazy when we don't have any camps. And the routine that I want them to have is not what it normally would be. So we're letting them stay up a lot later. They're playing Fortnite a lot, but we still have family dinner every night. And like I said, we, we always have. When we're, whenever we're in town, we have family dinner. So to be able to have had over five months straight of family dinners is really special. We've never had, you know, this much in a row. And then it's just a matter of, you know, finding time with each kid when I can and give them the time they need. So like I said, with my middle daughter, we're reading this book together. So like every day we find time together to read with my older one, it might be helping her like reorganize her room. She likes to do that over and over again and do some art. And then the, the middle one is just to be playful with, you know, teaching her how to ride a bike or go outside and get her on the scooter. And so it's really kind of finding time with each kid and then connecting together for family dinners. So let's jump back to the DC area in the 90s when you were my age. What was life like as a kid? I am very fortunate to have grown up in a very loving household with really hardworking, supportive parents. My dad is a lawyer in DC, still practicing in his 70s and really worked hard. But I always say like he was at every soccer game. He was just an awesome, supportive dad and mom. Really, like they were so happy to have us so close to home. So mom was always super supportive. When I went to college uh, in DC in the 90s, I was only a half hour away from home because I grew up in Maryland. And I definitely thought I was going to be the kind of kid that went away further from home. But it was really nice to stay so close to home. All my college friends became really close to my parents. And I spent the summers, you know, having internships, making sure I had money. I worked retail at Urban Outfitters, various jobs while in school. But I knew from growing up in DC and then going to college in DC that I never wanted to stay in DC because I do not like politics. You know, and at that time, really, DC growing up to me was like you were a lawyer, a doctor, or a politician. And I knew I didn't want to be any of those three. So, went to New York right after graduation, which was late 90s, and had to like start making it on my own. You know, my dad was very much of like, okay, you just got an amazing education and grew up in a really loving household with a roof over your head for 20 years. Like, go. <laughs> so went to New York. And at that point, I actually was engaged to Brian. We got engaged on graduation day. I met Brian in college. And you know, he had an awesome job and I was going to start finding my way. I want to move to all of those things, but I do want to talk specifically about home life and any values or stories of how you got the values that your family gave to you. So like I mentioned, I feel very fortunate with my upbringing outside of DC. My 
parents were super supportive. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't know how to even figure out what I wanted to do. But my parents were always just do what you love. So it was like, find find what it is that you love. And at the time, you know, I, was, I played soccer, but I busted my knees. So I was like, maybe physical therapy. And then I got tested for learning disabilities. And that was super interesting to me. So I went down to psychology and I majored in psychology because I was so interested then in the mind and how it worked. And I also majored in English and I always really enjoyed writing. And it wasn't actually really until one of my English classes where I wrote a comparison of Dr. Faust and a Simpsons episode that I put together the love of like pop culture, you know, and classics. And that was kind of the first light bulb that went off that was like, I want to do something in entertainment and pop culture. But I went to a school again, that was like a lot of international affairs and politics. And so it wasn't until... I got to New York and Brian was working at a company where he gave me a pilot to Dawson's Creek. And I was like, that's it. I love the show. I love everything about this. I want to get into entertainment. But it wasn't until, you know, because my parents were like, do what you love. And on top of the do what you love and going back to growing up, it was very much like, be a good friend, work really, really hard. Like nothing comes easy they never expected me to just assume that things were going to come to me and that I was always going to have to work really hard for what I wanted. And I grew up with an older brother who was super ridiculously smart. And so for me, school was always a struggle. And it was, it was hard. Like grade school, high school, college was very hard for me. And I always felt like I had to work twice as hard as all my friends. And so it was very satisfying to then finally figure out things that were starting to really interest me that I could actually have a career in that I didn't think I could have a career in. Like I didn't grow up in Maryland thinking that I could work in entertainment or write content. So it took a while for me to figure out what I wanted to do. But at least I had that support that whole time from my parents of figuring it out and just working hard. I did a lot of like team sports. So it was all that mentality of like being a team player. And I try to actually bring that a lot into pop sugar in our culture. For other kids or not even kids, adults kind of trying to find that thing that is entertainment and pop culture for you, what advice would you give them on how to find it? You have to try as much as possible, which is hard. I was like, I'm a very outgoing person. I'm extroverted, but I'm also very shy. And I wouldn't say that I'm a natural leader. I have to like get myself into a comfort zone. So I wasn't necessarily the kid that would say yes to everything. But I do think you have to try a lot of stuff and you have to have different jobs in different things. So whether it was like, being an assistant in a law firm, working retail at Urban Outfitters, all these little pieces of things that I had exposure to helped me figure out what I was ultimately then interested in. You have to, as the name says, be an intern to find it. You do. You have to be an intern. And actually, my first real internship was in New York City on a show called Fox After Breakfast. And it was a live morning show. And that was the summer that I saw the Dawson's Creek pilot. And that is really when... For me, I went back to school my senior year after that. And I was just like, I know. I know I want to get up to New York as soon as I can. I want to figure out how to get a job in entertainment. I didn't know. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know how or when or what and why I was going to be able to get a job. But I was going to figure it out. And ultimately, I went into... I graduated and I went into advertising. And that to me was as close as I could get to entertainment because the jobs that were in entertainment were a little harder. I was actually on my like fourth interview at a talent agency when I got the offer to start at an ad agency. And the ad agency account, the clients that I was going to be working on were entertainment related. So I was like, you know what? It's close enough. And I got in there and I was working with 
three really super awesome supportive women. And it was just like training camp. It was like boot camp. So like just learn how to do so much work, present to clients, be on call really, because it's a service industry. And it was, it was an excellent experience for me to learn from what I liked and didn't like about it too. Those three women, would you say that they were kind of mentors to help you get to the position that you were, you kind of have made yourself today? I think for me, I went through an experience where I had three women who were ready to have me on their team. They were very encouraging from the start. They could tell that I was somebody that was very interested in what they were doing. And on the flip end, I was going to interview at a place that was making me scared. They had the scare tactic of the interviews. You know, it's like you have to level up to keep talking to these people, but in a way that it wasn't encouraging. And I could just tell that that wasn't going to be the right place for me. So I was happily encouraged to take the job with the women. And then once I was there, it was, it was a very, it was still hard and it was still demanding and they still expected A plus work, but it was fun. And it did feel very comforting to be able to work with these women. And I wasn't there very long because I was there for over a year. And then my client, so I worked on an account, Showtime was my account. And my client hired me over, which was awesome. And so I went to go work with George for like just over a half a year before we decided to move to San Francisco. So it was little tidbits here and there. I want to jump back to something you said earlier. So you had mentioned that you weren't great in school and you kind of had to work twice as hard as everyone else. How did you deal with that struggle of having to do two times the amount of work kind of push yourself even more and kind of get out of your comfort zone within regards to that? Yeah, I mean, I think there were things I didn't even realize I was doing at the time. Like I was overly confident in other areas. So I was a really great athlete. And so then I became a natural leader there. And that also... And and I, like I said, with my parents, it was always about like having really great true friends, many of which I'm still friends with today. And I think being the advisor, being somebody that people could come to, to talk to for problems, that gave me comfort. So I felt like I was good in other ways. and. As far as school being a struggle, I still figured out ways the same way I do now of how do I organize my life and organize at the time it was school. So like color coding things and just, you know, it might take me a little longer to do it, but I'll still be able to do it. And I can still pull off the grades and get into a great college. It just seemed harder for me than a handful of friends. And so I just, I'm not going to say it wasn't frustrating, but I definitely learned tactics of how to deal with frustration or how to have more patience knowing that I was going to have to put a little bit more in. What were those tactics? Like, how did you have that patience? As a high school student, it seems like my patience goes away in a snap. Yeah. In some cases, it was really connecting with the teachers and having a really great relationship with a small group of teachers that understood how this was a struggle for me or how I could work with them to do things a little more independently. I started to learn that I was a really audio learner. So listening to books, like at the same time as reading it. And that's great because I do that with one of my daughters now. Like I see her struggling with reading. And so we do a lot of stuff on audio or we'll take turns reading out loud and then we'll do some audio. And I think just knowing that you can do that, you can change up how you're digesting all the information that you're taking in. And then, like I said, I, I, I was like very organized and color-coded. And I joke that I'm not really a planner, but I have to be by default because my husband's definitely not a planner. And like one of the two of us has to planner because we need to know where our kids are at all times and stuff. So all that stuff I did in high school, I now do like 
for our family calendars and everybody has their own color. And, you, you know, you realize how you take these things that you did in high school into your life now as a family. So you said you had kind of a group of teachers that you worked with. What did those teachers tell you or what advice did they give you that you still use in your life today? I mean, one was like not to overthink things. And I think that was actually really important. I had an English teacher who I loved and, you know, get a 97 on a paper was like a huge deal in his class. And I remember like the one paper I ever got a 97 on his class, the title of the paper was, I don't know yet. And like just being able to handwrite it and hand it in. And like, I didn't know, like he just loved that. And it was the first time I didn't actually try to overthink to come out with the perfect title to have all the answers. And I think that's something that's really important. And that even goes back to now leading. It's like, I don't necessarily have all the answers. And when we created Pop Sugar, we made a lot of it up as we went along. And that's just important in life. <laughs> We've been talking for 28 minutes. And so it's good halfway point kind of talking about high school and home life. So I'm doing this thing called a coffee break. It's an opportunity for you to tell a story that's less serious and is something any time in your life that kind of just makes you laugh when you think back to it. Oh God. <laughs> I never make fun of Brian, but we have this one favorite time where we were in New York and we really wanted to get a dog. And we were reading the paper because back then there were no phones and there was no all that stuff. And he looks at it and he's like, what the fuck is a chihuahua? A chihuahua? <laughs> So that is something we constantly bring up back and forth. I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean, there's so many probably with the kids and with the company. I don't know. I might have to come back on this one too. But we always talk about the Chihuahua. <laughs> so then let's talk about after you graduated high school, you attended George Washington University. And there, did you have anyone, your friend group, how did they kind of shape you and your experience at George Washington? How did that shape you? Yeah. So for me, I met Brian the first week of school, which was crazy to me. The man that I was going to marry when I was 17. And at the same time, it was great. So that was a really fun start. And then my sorority, I, I did a sorority. It was one of those things where it wasn't a huge thing to do on campus, but I wasn't playing a sport anymore, which was really important to me in my high school days and my younger community of sports. So since I knew I wasn't going to be doing a sport, in college, I wanted to try to immediately find, you know, a group. So I did rush and I still have, there's a core group of six of us that are still ridiculously close. And I'm the furthest away from everyone, which I hate because they're all back on the East Coast. So we, we do still get together often. They are still my best friends in life that I go to for advice that I share all this great stuff with. Katie, we were the, Brian and I were the first ones married and we were the first ones with the kids. So Katie was just bat mitzvah last year. They all came out for her bat mitzvah. I mean, it's really nice to see how close we all still are. And you know, we all completely encourage each other to do stuff, whether it's in our family, in our careers. And it's just a really great group. I mean, I feel extremely fortunate to still have these girls in my life that mean so much to me. And then as far as the guys, the other thing to know about me, going back to sort of my sporty roots and having an older brother, I, I consider myself very much a tomboy growing up. So as much as I, I have this core group of girlfriends that I love, I really am one of the guys. And because I did meet Brian very early, I was with him and his friends 
often and I would play video games into the wee hours of the night. And that's actually how I won Brian over. Like for the first meetings with him, we were playing FIFA soccer and I beat him. So I was like, he's like, oh, I should pay attention to this girl, I think. So I got to spend a lot of time with Brian and his friends too and have a really great connection with them. And then because we were a half hour from home, my parents became very close with a lot of my friends and being able to have everybody introduced and go home for Jewish holidays or bring people home who couldn't go home for Thanksgiving or so on was really important and still ongoing in our lives. Did you have any insecure or down moments in your college experience that you had to take some will to overcome? Yeah. I mean, I still had, you know, the struggles of like balancing stuff. You know, you have to take your required classes, ones of which I knew I would do nothing with later and struggled through some of those. I was always a good student. I was one of those kids that I wasn't one of those kids that skipped class or stuff like that. Like I was good. I I go to, I was like, my parents are paying this ridiculous amount of money for an education. Like I will go to all my classes and work hard. I'm a good rule follower that way for even a second born versus first born. But yeah, I think the hardest part is is just really learning to be on your own. I mean, I definitely had roommates who were not the best. And that's always a struggle, learning how to deal with people that you're like forced to be living with. How do you deal with them? Um, at that point, honestly, I just spent so much of my time at my boyfriend's, right? Like I was like, I'll just be with Brian. <laughs> it's just easier. And, and his roommate and I got along really, really well. I mean, to the point actually where when Brian was like starting to commute up to New York, like sometimes I would just go stay with Span because he was like my best friend also. And it was just like easier to be with him than around the roommate. So, you know, having that was really special. <laughs> just like family, extended family versus like a roommate situation that's not great. So finding those other people in your life are really important, actually. I think that's really the, the lesson to take away from that. And not be afraid to ask for help or to go stay with them if you don't want to be with somebody else. Did you have any teachers or other mentors in that experience that gave you any particular advice that helped you? Not as much. I mean, high school to me was much more defining of who I am today from a lessons perspective or learning. I feel like college went by so fast. And if anything, that was more, you know, my family and friends that I really took away from that time. And just growing up to being an adult. When you think about high school being defining, are there any pinnacle moments in that experience that helped or that make it so that that's what you think? I'll give you two examples that I have never really talked about. Freshman year, which is such an awkward year. And in my school, there was only 50 kids in my grade. It was a small class. And, you know, I think everything about it is just new and weird. And I never looked at myself as this like super happy person. And at the end of the year, they gave an award and it was named after a student that it was in memory of him. And it was called the joy of life award, (laughs) the joy of living award. And I was, and getting that award, I was like, Oh my God. Okay. Other people see me as happy. And I do always feel like I try to smile a lot or put on a happy face, but Inside, I didn't necessarily feel like I might have been that happy, but the fact that other people saw me as this shining light and positive being reinforced that like, okay, that, that is who I am. And that is who I still am even, you know, as I have a company that I really have based on being playful and positive, right? So that was like really awesome defining moment freshman year. And then senior year, and my dad always says this to me because 
I wrote a book, which we can talk about a little bit, but I talk about how school was a struggle for me. And my dad was like, you know, don't forget you won the scholar athlete award. And I was like, okay, you're right. (laughs) So I, on graduation day, got a really amazing award where, you know, I, I wasn't the straight A student. I wasn't the valedictorian and I wasn't in the top whatever percent, but I still got an amazing medal that was an athlete scholar. So it was the idea that I actually was a very strong athlete and a strong student. And only one person got that in the grade. And it was just like, again, another like redefining moment where I didn't necessarily think of myself a certain way, but I am actually, I'm actually doing it. I am stronger than I think. And I think sometimes we need to remember, it doesn't necessarily need other people to point that out with an award, but to just not second guess yourself in in scenarios where you think you might not be that person, you actually could be giving that different feeling off to other people. Getting that award, obviously you said you were a stellar athlete, but it really shows it. Being a leader and a kind of athletic superstar, one, what did you take away from the sports world for people who aren't in it or for people who are in it? And two, how did you overcome not being or not playing in college and kind of coming back from an injury? For me, sports, and I played soccer, it's always about just being a team player. And it was like, it could never, you know, sure, you could have a superstar on the team, but it's like, you, there's a group, like, and it's all together. And, and if you're really all on all together, you're a much better team, right? So I think that for me, it was always that idea of just learning that team mentality and you show up for practice and you show up for your teammates and you know you just have to be there 100%. So I take a lot of that actually in with me to pop sugar and part of that is like anybody has a good idea. I don't care if you're brand new a week at this job or 10 years and a seasoned leader at the job like I want to hear from everyone and you know at the same time we're all like one team, one dream to create what we want for success. So I think that that's something that's really important for me as far as that. I busted my knee when I was 15. And, you know, ACL injuries are not fun. And for me, and even when I look at my kids, I think playing in college is incredible and an amazing thing for, for kids to do and athletes to do. But I knew I was not going to be a professional athlete and it wasn't necessarily in my sights to even want to play in college. But I love movement and I love the way that sports or exercise make me feel. And as far as really keeping myself feeling healthy. I know that I have to work out. I have to have that exercise. And so that's something that has stayed with me. And even with my own kids, I just want to reiterate them getting into exercise and being a team player. So as far as coming back from an injury, I played for, you know, I played for two more years with my knee injury, but then I I wasn't willing to really sort of like really rehab it to play at that next level. And I was excited to go to college and sort of start a new phase. And again, knowing that school was going to be hard for me, trying to think of being an athlete at the same time, that's a lot of extra time and effort and work. And I didn't think I could at the time do both. Making the decision based on what was most important to you in that situation. For me, it would have been like surgeries and rehabs and, you know, going all in. And and at the time I was like, you know what, that's, I'm interested in other things now too. And I'm just starting to figure out what those things are. So. I mean, that kind of talks about a lot of your young life before you started getting into your career and your real work. Are there any other stories from up to end of college that are super important and that you kind of feel like help advise or show who you are? Well, and Brian dropped out. And so that's, that's the other thing. You know, I, 
I went to undergrad thinking that was my first stop in education and that I was going to go to grad school and I was going to be in school for who knows how long because further learning is great, which I still believe in. But Brian didn't even graduate. So when I am then engaged to somebody who didn't end up graduating and has an extremely successful, creative, entrepreneurial spirit, it becomes really infectious. And it definitely you know, made me just want to get out there and start working. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that... I mean, as soon as I was graduated, I was up in New York working a week later. So I knew I just was ready to like start life. So let's talk about the creation of Pop Sugar now. You move out to San Francisco and this is something that you start on the side where you're blogging and focusing on your love of media and pop culture. How do you know that it's time to focus on that? And how did you even have the time to work on a side project? Yeah. So when we went to San Francisco, which I also thought was going to be like a three to five year stop off of our lives, I was like, sure. We literally just got married three months earlier. I was like, let's just, let's just go do anything. Like, why not? So Brian had gotten a cool job offer. And at the time there was no media pop culture companies out here. So I went back into advertising because I continued to learn a lot. There was like a really cool creative shop here that I was very excited to have an awesome offer from. And I just loved what I could see from what the culture was going to be there. So I went to go to the Silverstein Partners where I spent like five more years in advertising. But I had still always had that itch of trying to figure out what magazine I could work at. And everything that was here was either very tech-focused or local. And like I said, this was supposed to be a temporary stop. So I was like, I don't need to go work at anything San Francisco related because... I'm going to be gone in a couple of years. And we hit about our fourth year mark here and started really falling in love with the city. And at the time, I actually decided it was time to really get my knees fixed. So I got my knee surgery, my long-awaited second knee surgery to finally get my ACL reconstructed. And as I was really kind of off of work, I decided on the side to start getting creative. And so as I'm sort of like rehabbing my knee and going back to work on a you know, part-time basis, I start getting creative, which was like really exciting. And as much as I loved my job in advertising and it was great, there were a lot of things I didn't like about it. And it wasn't a great fit for me because I wasn't doing the pop culture entertainment stuff that I really wanted to do. But I was there, I had some cool accounts and on the side, I started Pop Sugar. And so during a lunch break, before I went into office, as soon as I came home, I would just write stuff and I would be able to find stuff online that nobody had written about yet. So even competitors, you know, in the magazine world, they only cared about subscriptions. They didn't even want to write the stuff that I was writing because they were saving that news or information for when it would go to print three days later and then it would be in the mail two days later or whatever. So I was able to get stuff out faster than the magazines were and ultimately got a really large following very quickly. And basically within the first six months of writing Pop Sugar, the audience grew so quickly. At that point, Brian was like, let's just go all in, like build this thing. So I ended up stopping working in advertising. And at the same time, we are now pregnant with our first daughter. So I am now like home trying to keep myself in a routine. So now going back into that, like, how do I have some sort of routine? So I'm not just in my pajamas writing all day and never leaving my house and like eating only cereal and 
whatever. <laughs> so I really had to like force myself. We did have a, you know, we had dogs. So I was able to like go take them for walks. I would force myself to go out every day to have lunch at like the same restaurant that I liked. And I would read a magazine while I was there to try to take a break from the computer. And it really was a really excellent creative time for me because I wasn't in that daily grind. And I think that's something that was really special and unique. And I always was so amazed. And I was always like, there are so many people. Does, does anyone work in this city? Like, I just always felt like, <laughs> but I think that's actually part of what's so great about San Francisco is so many people are starting their own companies. And so that allowed me to see how different people in different routines can create a different work environment than the going to my client-based business and working ridiculous hours and being on call for something that I wasn't as passionate about. So would you say that what made you make the shift to at the beginning, a more risky career path was just because you knew that you needed to be doing something that you were passionate about? I mean, I finally felt like I found my calling, right? So it was like, I was super excited about something. People wanted this. They were The site traffic was building. I could tell what people liked. I was getting immediate feedback. It's like, you know, people talk about focus groups and using focus groups and advertising to find how people react to stuff. And back then, like social media didn't even exist. And I, I, but I had comments and I had all these people starting to share their lives together because they had all these common interests of the people that I was writing about. So I would always, I tell the story a lot about how like in the beginning, people would start like introducing themselves to each other or like writing and talking to each other about even their weekend plans on a story that had like clearly nothing to do with their weekend plans. But we created this great community of people who had, you know, similar interests, which is whatever I was reporting on at the time, which is a lot of, a lot of the celebrity pop culture genre I very quickly saw that like my advertising days, there is a way to create a really great lifestyle online, the genre of lifestyle, right? So like fashion, beauty, fitness, and all the magazines that you would buy individually on a newsstand could come to life digitally on Pop Sugar and through Pop Sugar. And that was when we kind of, that light bulb went off and it was like, okay, well, I'm clearly not going to write all this. I'm definitely not a fitness expert. I'm not certified in anything here. Who else can we bring on board? And that's when we started to really figure out what the business was going to be. In that kind of early creation time, were there any hard skills that you needed to build to become Lisa Sugar? I mean, I had to learn to code and Photoshop and things that were definitely not in my wheelhouse before. And then eventually lead, which, you know, I'd always been parts of teams, but I was never the creative director at the ad agency or like, you know, this huge leading partner. So you know, I was 29 and about to have a baby and starting to hire people that I didn't know. Some of my friends we could hire, but I was starting to now hire people I didn't know to come on board for this ride, which we didn't know where it was going to go. So that's both scary and exciting. And what did you learn from that mix of fear and excitement in the same environment as a new leader? Yeah. I mean, I learned that a lot of times when I used to be very quiet in meetings, I now could lead them. And it was just being extremely natural and and comfortable and myself. And I think that was something that was important and being able to start with that small group and continue to expand it. And then also creating an environment where everybody else could feel really comfortable to speak and not be embarrassed about, you know, I mean, I always say one of the first things I ever did was hire a copy editor because I wanted the site to be seen as professional, but I would spell McConaughey and Gyllenhaal wrong every time. So I was like, I need a copy editor to help me actually make sure there's no typos because I don't want this to look like it's not professional. So I I wanted people to feel comfortable 
if they said somebody's name wrong, teach people how to say somebody's name right and so on and so forth. So trying to create that kind of culture was important. For other kids in media today, what skills should they acquire along the same lines? I always say you have to just start doing it. And so I can like I can see your work and I can see examples of what it is you're excited about. So if you want to come right on our fitness site, like what is it that you're doing in your personal life? You guys have it easy in some ways by having a portfolio that's so easy for me to see all over online, you know, whether that's on Instagram, on TikTok, wherever. If you want to be a content creator, be doing it just for fun on the side. Even if you don't have that much time because you're busy doing your day job, like I totally get it. But at least if you're somebody that wants to write about fitness or food, show me some of those things. And you don't have to even be the one cooking it. Just show me the things that you're excited about so I can get inside your head. And that's something that I think is really important. I feel like we've kind of gone through a good path of your life. We've talked about your childhood and your creating your company and your pride and joy. Well, your kids would be your pride and joy, but <laughs> your product. In all that experience, have there been any major failures that are real turning points to you? I mean, I wouldn't say there's been major failures. There's things we tried that we've retired. So... When Facebook games were huge, we decided, you know what, let's have, let's have a game. Let's pretend we're in a retail store. Let's try that. And we realized, you know what, that's not our wheelhouse. That's not what we should be doing. So there's things we definitely have tried. I think there's times where I've felt, you know, there's always a, a hire that doesn't work out, like somebody you're really excited about that just ultimately either you've let them down or they've let you down. And that can be disappointing. But yeah. And I think it's more just, you know, I'm sure there are times when I started to do even public speaking, I used to get really, really nervous, like really nervous. And that was really hard for me to overcome. And I realized, unfortunately, the only way to overcome this is to do it and to do it more. And so I wrote a book in 2016, and it really was about telling the story of Pop Sugar as well as helping people figure out what it is they want to do. And one of the first meetings I ever did, I had to do it to like 10,000 people. And I was like, Oh my God, like, how am I going to do this? So I was super nervous, you know, but it was practicing ahead of time, trying to figure out how to learn to calm my nerves eventually. And then eventually I overcome it to the point where I'm like, why am I not getting nervous about speaking in front of the entire new company tomorrow when we go merge with these 500 people we've never met before. And I got to go speak to all of them. Like, it gets, got to a point where I realized I know how to calm myself or overcome things that five years ago were not, not in my wheelhouse at all. Yeah, makes sense. So thank you for the time. Before we finish, I want to go back to the two questions I asked you at the beginning. First, overall, how would you define success if you could define it? I would say that it is really surrounding yourself with the people you love that encourage you to continue to learn and that you then feel like you can, you can both learn from and teach. I think it's really important. I think ultimately people want to be happy. Not everybody is set up to be happy in the same ways. We talk a lot about in Pop Sugar, figuring out how to you know, find your own happily ever after. And like for everybody, that's very different. We're all coming from different places. So I think success, you know, really comes back to figuring out how you 
feel like you are a good, kind person every day and what you're doing better for the world, as well as you being able to wake up feeling good about what you do every day. Last question. If someone listens to the last 10 minutes of this or listens to this whole conversation and takes away three things, what are those three pieces of advice that they should take away? Yeah, they should figure out how to do what they love, be a team player, and really not be an asshole. Like just be kind, be a good person. Know that you never know what somebody else is going through that day. I always say like, you know, I hate having to wear masks because I love to just like smile at strangers all the time and like try to spread happiness. So I think that, you know, just really being kind stuff, things that you're really actually taught in grade school really matter in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and forever. Great. Thank you so much. On the next episode of One Hour Intern, I learned from Grammy award-winning EDM duo, The Chainsmokers. All these people are coming to you telling you, you know, life's going to be okay. Things are going to move on. And, you know, it's like you can go left or you can go right. And you can use this pain and this experience as motivation to get through life, or you can let it be an excuse as to why you failed and made bad decisions. Thank you for listening to One Hour Intern. I hope that you explore more of our episodes. Follow us at One Hour Intern. The one is spelled using the number one. And if you enjoyed, please rate, follow, and subscribe. The One Hour Intern is produced, hosted, and written by me, Will Brigger. My co-producers are The Blue and Studio Pod. Till next time, thanks.